0: We're here today on Deadline's Crew Call with Jack Black to discuss all things Tenacious D, Super Mario Brothers, and his song from that mega-hit film this award season, Peaches. I'm your host, Anthony Dellisandro. Jack Black, I want to know how you got into the character of Bowser. Did you play a lot of Mario Brother? Did you go all out De Niro? Did you go on an eating binge? What did you do to get into the head of this guy? Did you research dictators?
1: You know, I, uh, I did go full method. I gained uh, seven pounds only eating Bowser type food, which ironically was similar to my type of food. Cheeseburgers, fries, just like De Niro would. Um, what did I do? Did I play video games? Yes, I did. Uh, but I always play video games. It's amazing how the research for Bowser was similar to what I was already doing. But by God, I did it.
0: <laughs> so tell us about Peaches, how the song came to you. Who who from the production side had the idea that they wanted you to do a ballad? A big hair ballad.
1: A big hair ballad, you call it.
0: What was your inspiration? What was it for you?
1: I'm just I'm fascinated by the big hair ballad reference. I've never heard that before. Is that such a thing?
0: The big hair bands, you know, like bunch. Oh, the
1: big hair bands.
0: Oh, that like a
1: like a rock and roll ballad, like a heavy metal ballad. I don't think of this song as a heavy metal ballad at all. In fact, that's what's funny about it, is that it's really sort of tender and sweet. It's a real like emotional love song, in in my uh, opinion. But, uh, yeah, he does have a lot of heavy metal in, in his character throughout the movie. It's very Metallica vibes and energy. Uh-huh. And that's why the juxtaposition with all of a sudden he's this sensitive soul singing about this, this beautiful love that he, he, uh, longs for, uh, that's what, what did it for me. And it came to me because, uh, the filmmakers, the directors, uh, said, uh, and this is like well into the process. This is like a year into recording the character. They're like, hey, we think it would be great to do a song. How do you feel about doing a song? And at first I was like, ah, I don't know, guys. You should have told me that from the beginning. I didn't know I was going to be singing songs because I'm very protective about my music career. You know, I got a band. That's my other yes. career.
0: Yes. And
1: I don't, like, I don't like to mix them up unless that's the plan from the beginning. Yeah. But they said, let us just send you this little nugget that we've got this idea for a song and see what you think. And they sent it over and I couldn't deny it. It was funny, you know, and they, it it had all all of the, uh, the, the magic in this one little like 30 second clip they sent me with the peaches, peaches, peaches. And I, and I had to admit, okay, this could be a great moment in the movie. I got to give it a shot. So I worked on it. I, I shaped it, added some, some lyrics and, um, turned it into like a song and sent it and said, would you guys be okay if I sang it like this? Because uh, this is the way I hear the song, but it's, you know, it's very emotional. I don't know if you guys are going to want this in like a family cartoon to, for it to suddenly get so real, you know, and uh, they loved it. And the rest is history. I was so pleased that it worked out and that I overcame my fear of mixing, you know, my rock and my, and my acting.
0: So John Spiker, he's your producer. Tell us about your your working relationship with him. How long you've known him? Is he integral to everything Tenacious D?
1: Yeah, John Spiker and I have been working together since uh, uh, Pick of Destiny was the first time we we collabed. Uh, uh, And Kyle, my partner in Tenacious D, found him in Ohio uh, on his solo project and uh he's been everything tenacious d ever since he's been our uh record producer he's been our um our our road manager he's one of these guys that like does everything and only gets 4 hours sleep a night and he's a brilliant musician as well so anyway he he was my uh recording engineer while i was doing uh the super mario brothers movie cuz you got to remember we were f- recording the whole thing during pandemic times. So I was just going over to, to John was like in my bubble, uh, community. And I would just go over to John's house and into his, uh, recording, uh, uh, studio in his garage. And we would zoom sessions with the super Mario directors. And, uh, yeah. So, so when they sent over the song, we just went right into like tenacious D mode and, uh, fleshed out the, the rest of the song together. Yeah, and he's a collaborator for sure.
0: I'm going to come back to the song, but my next question to you is, you know, I'm curious about your songwriting process. And
1: I should also mention though that John Spiker is also Tenacious D's bass player. I think I forgot that, the oh, most very important cool. thing.
0: Very cool. So are you on a guitar or a piano largely every single day, just kind of flirting around and things come up? I mean, I got to think you're a master improviser.
1: Um sometimes I uh I'll pick up my acoustic guitar and uh and figure out some chords but usually that's uh my partner Kyle Gass on the guitar yeah. and I will just sing and improvise and come up with songs that way. Mm-hmm. Uh on this one uh John Spiker did the piano playing and uh and I just worked out some some uh sweet little parts for for peaches.
0: And then each word each time you say peaches, there's a different emotional intention. Am I right? Can you talk no. about that?
1: No, that that that's not true. Every time I say peaches, I say I think I say peaches like a hundred times in that song. Um, <laughs> that would be insane if every time I said peaches there was a different emotional intentions. <laughs> peaches, 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 peaches. No, it's all it's all love is basically what it is. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's a special kind of love that comes from this villainous character where he loves her, but he also kind of wants to control her. You know, Uh I'll make you mine.
0: And yet it's, it's his, the one that got away song.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: because at the,
1: at the core, you know, he, he really needs this love and, and, uh, he's very insecure and, uh. And and so so yeah, beneath the love is a is sort of a a, a, a villainous. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this.
0: Anyway, next question. Tell us about meeting KG, Kyle Gass, and how Tenacious D formed. I know you've told this story before, but I think for anyone that's listening, it's an interesting. I don't mind
1: telling it again. No, some people some people don't know. We were both in a theater company in uh, Los Angeles, California, called The Actors Gang, started by uh, Tim Robbins at, uh, when he was a, a student in UCLA. And uh, it was like a very politically active uh, counterculture kind of independent theater company and very cool stuff. And, and uh, when I was coming up, you know, just out at, of at high school, I was a huge fan of the actors gang and I, my dream was to be in that theater company and uh, I got an opportunity. I, I knew someone who uh, got me an audition. and I got into the, to the play. And the first thing I, I, I did when I got in, I was like, I scoped out the scene. And I was like, that guy, Kyle gas, he's the music guy in the theater company. And so I tried to get in with him, get in his good graces and like become his protege. And at first he was like, get this f- kid out of here, man. Nah, he, oh, he thinks he's going to be the new music guy? Nah, I'm the, so we had this friction at the beginning. But uh, eventually I broke him down and he agreed to uh, teach me his ways. It's similar uh, to the movie that we made, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. And that, uh, that relationship, you know, it's based loosely on, on reality.
0: When did you guys start to connect? When did he let his guard down?
1: Um... I guess it was, dude, it's a long time ago. 1989, we went to Edinburgh Theater Festival in uh-huh. Scotland, which is an incredible uh, theater festival. If you ever get a chance to go, I highly recommend it. The whole city turns into a theater town, and there's hundreds of productions happening everywhere you look. The barber shop turns into a theater. The bar's a theater. Everywhere you go, there's a play happening. It was incredible. And we kind of bonded over there, and... and uh, and he started to teach me his ways, taught me a couple guitar riffs. And, and uh, we were like, we should go to the McDonald's in Scotland because mcdonald it sounds like a, a Scottish name, McDonald's. Maybe it tastes better in Scotland. And we bonded over a filet of fish and we were like, filet of fishes are pretty much the same everywhere in the world.
0: But the <laughs> potatoes,
1: the fries tasted a little bit better in the Scottish McDonald's. That's where the Rainbow Connection began. It began at Mickey D's in Scotland.
0: Who do you consider some of your early, before Tim, Robbins, some of your early mentors when it comes to improv, comedy, and acting? Uh, Because you went to Crossroads, probably one of the best high schools in the world when it comes to arts and everything. I'm just curious, did you always have the acting bug in you or was this something... You know, you got cast in Our Town as Cy Crowell in your freshman year, and it that was it.
1: <laughs> uh, well, no, I was not in Our Town. Though I, I am a fan of that that play. I saw it on Broadway with, uh, who was that dude that played the narrator? Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've been, I've had it in my, in my uh, soul from uh, very early on. I love to put on a, a show, um, even if it was just for my, my parents in the living room. I had that bug, that, like, mm, that love of the stage and that love of getting attention and laughs. And uh, I remember uh, I loved um, Weird Al Yankovic is one of my earliest memories of like th- someone who I, I idolized, who I thought was really funny and, and would try to imitate at school. Uh, and I went to summer camp and did uh, theater in Idlewild Summer Camp. I played the Wizard in the Wizard of Oz. And uh, yeah, there was an improv game that I learned very young, when when uh, my parents took me to a Passover Seder, and there's the the mom there was a, a Holocaust survivor, and she was this
0: incredible woman who had all the like passion for the
1: arts and the theater. And she she taught me this game, this uh, viola-spolen improvisational game called The Freeze Game. And we all played it that night. And I was only like nine years old, but I was hooked, dude. I loved it. And that's where I first really got the bug, I think. And, you know, did theater in high school.
0: What plays? What did you do?
1: Uh, I was in Pippin. I was Pippin in Pippin. Oh, And that wow. was a big... and dude, So that's the first time I really mixed... Acting and music in musical theater in high school and that served me so well throughout my career You know the music and acting even in in uh, Super Mario Brothers here, you know the, it, it always seems to be my superpower. So
0: so I didn't get the role of Pippin. I was a runner-up mm. Because I was a little too Patty LuPone in, oh. my, in my audition the role went to the kid Who's kind of the awkward kid. He had a beautiful voice, but he was like the awkward kid. He totally didn't need to get into character for Pippin. He was just organically Pippin. But I wound mm. up, I came very close, very close. And the note back from the director's uh, work was that it was a little too brassy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so. I
1: love Patti Lapone, though. That's a high compliment if, uh, if they were saying you were too <laughs> Patti Lapone for the role. I saw Patti Lapone on Broadway in uh, Sweeney Todd.
0: Oh wow! Did you see that wow. production? I, wow. I have
1: not. I have not. She was uh, like the whole cast was playing instruments. If they weren't on stage singing, they were off stage playing instruments, and she played a tuba. And she came out, and her her performance was incredible. And what other roles? What other roles in high school? I played As Dak in the Caucasian Chalk Circle by Bertolt Brecht, which is really an intellectual play for a high school production. But uh, my theater teacher, Scott Weintraub, was real uh, trusting and, and a real inspiration for getting kids to work on stuff that was like way above their age level uh, in terms of brain power. And that was a that was a cool experience for me. And I, I did. I learned some improv on on that one when the when the other kids uh, weren't prepared to go to the next scene, I remember I had to just like stretch and and uh, improvise until everybody got all the set pieces together. But um, you know who was a huge inspiration to me when I was in high school with improvisation? Was a kid who was younger than me, because I was a senior, so I was like the the king of the improv uh, in school. But then this girl came in who was like three years younger than me, and uh, she was so brilliant and talented and funny, I was kind of intimidated. And it kind of messed with my head. I was like, I don't know if I'm good at improv now because this kid is coming in and just killing. And that was Maya Rudolph who went on wow. to to yeah. crush it at Saturday Night Live and, and on and on. And um, I wow. still just marvel at her talents.
0: Minnie Riperton, you know.
1: Yeah, her mom, yeah. Minnie Riperton. Yeah, yeah.
0: The other thing I wanted to ask you about is with tenacity, are you working on an album right now?
1: We are working on a project. I can't tell you about it because it's a secret, um, but uh, I love uh, I love what we got cooking up right now. But we've been having great tours. You know, we've been on tour with, uh, 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 it's called the Spicy Meatball Tour.
0: Yes. And we just
1: yeah. needed to get back on the road and play some shows because it had been years over pandemic times that we didn't tour. And so we kind of came up with a couple new songs, uh, a video games song, and uh, another song that's a cover of uh, "Wicked Game," and um, <laughs> and we we got a new a new pyro. We've never done pyro before, and of you know course. fire and pyro is such a huge part of like the heavy metal scene. We thought we need to get a pyro gag into the act, and so we hired this guy who's the worst pyro technician in the industry and Uh so the hilarious thing is that the pyro only happens at the worst possible times like in between songs or like a really soft song a huge explosion of fire will happen and we're furious at this this pyro technician anyway it's been really fun
0: tell me about sticking together like success never got in your way to break up you and KG, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. I mean, what's the secret to success there? Is it because you're such a tight act? It's not like it takes a lot to, to mount a production. You guys just show up and do your thing.
1: Well, I think the secret to us uh, staying together and the secret to our success is that uh, we are aware that the, 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 uh, the band is is greater than the sum of its parts, you know, and and I'm able to do stuff with Kyle that I could never do alone, and that our chemistry is special, and that it, there's some comedy gold there that just happens when we're together, and I think the thing that breaks bands up, uh, uh, ultimately, is ego. So we gotta, you know, constantly remind ourselves that no, it's it's because of this magical union, and and try to m- make a allowances for the other person to keep uh, uh to keep the magic alive uh, and not let our egos take over because that's the that's the killer of bands i'm convinced is like no i'm the one who came up with this or that that guy over there you know you don't want to start oh, worrying the Darryl, about the credits the daryl oh, hall and no, john notes
0: oh my god like are you guys Are you trying to sell 50% of the catalog? Yeah,
1: (laughs) I know. It happens all the time.
0: Oh, my God.
1: You know, look, I love Paul Simon. I love his solo stuff. But come on, Simon and Garfunkel. Guys, can you just work it out? It's the egos that kill these magical bands.
0: Yeah. Now, can you talk about playing in Los Angeles? So here's the thing. You'll remember this. Remember what Prince used to do in the early part of the millennium? He would announce very secretly this is before social media on the dark web on the web that he was going to play house of blues and he would show up at midnight and it would be under a different band name and and then all of a sudden everyone always knew it and they showed up at house of blues and there was prince do you and kg do that type of thing or like how often do you play largo
1: well look we're not on the level of prince so (laughs) we don't have to worry about that as much but we have done that before where we played Largo under a different name uh, just because we wanted to have a fun, no pressure gig. And we wanted to do some stuff where we didn't play the hits. Uh-huh. So we, uh, we changed our name one night to Standing O. So there's a little, there's a little hint in there. If you think about it, Standing O is very t- similar to Tenacious D. Uh-huh. Uh, and we only played songs that uh, were not on any of our albums. You know, we played Deep Cuts. And uh, it was really fun. And we love that guy. Uh, Largo is this legendary Los Angeles rock club and all all kinds of genres of music and comedy. And uh, there's this, uh, there's this incredible theater owner there named uh, Flanny Mark Flanagan. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's always encouraged us and all of the artists that play there to take risks and take chances and, and do things just for the love of it. So that's where we felt safe.
0: When did you first step on stage there? I mean, going back to Fairfax, cause that was a major deal to play for any comedic actor band to play Largo.
1: That was back in the mid nineties. Um, and yeah, uh, there, was a, there was a whole scene happening there and uh, there'd be incredible comedians up on stage all the time there. and. Yeah. One that comes to mind is, uh, Mitch Hedberg, who is no longer with us, but he's like legendary. He's like the Kurt Cobain of alternative comedy, really funny. And Oh yeah. And sneaky smart. Like he looks like a super stoner, but then he'll like plop out these comedy gems that are like mathematical genius gems. Um, and all the people from Mr. Show and all of the alt comedy scene would be there. Um, and then you'd also have like John Bryan, who's a legendary music producer, played every Friday night. Y'all plays. Uh, Elliot Smith, dude. I saw Elliot Smith there. I guess it was like 95, 96. And that was like one of the most beautiful uh, uh, live performances I'd ever seen. And um, you could hear Marlin a pin Hay. drop. Colin hay, hay. fantastic yeah. men at work legend, yeah, he would come in by himself with an acoustic g- guitar and just play you know his incredible catalog love love the uh the Colin hay
0: when are we gonna see you next perform in l a tenacious day
1: yeah, you know l a is always such a fiery hoop in terms of like pressure, you want it to be you want it to be for the big tour, you know. And the mm-hmm. spicy meatballs have been really fun and great. But uh, I think we're going to wait until our next album to do our, our LA show. Our oh. dream is to play, um, we've always wanted to play the Greek.
0: Oh yeah, very and much. Uh, and
1: yeah. we've also always wanted to play the Hollywood Bowl.
0: Oh, totally.
1: Yeah. So yeah, something like that. Look for that happening next year.
0: Did you see, uh, the new Cut of Stop making sense?
1: No, but I, I did see it back in the day. Uh, oh I love talking God. heads. Yeah. I haven't had time to check that out. Is it great?
0: Oh, I saw it in Toronto. Here's the thing. I'm a, the biggest talking heads fan. I never saw the movie.
1: Wow.
0: I know the soundtrack back and forth. It played, I grew up in Vermont. It played my hometown for like months. Never saw it. I saw it for the first time in Toronto. With them, with their reunion, with them dancing in the theater, the Talking Heads dancing in the theater. It was what? My, and, and, and in IMAX. And in IMAX. And then Spike Lee was dancing in my row. It was the most Are you kidding and, me? That is the first time I saw Oh, sense. so
1: wait, Toronto. And it was at the film festival, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Of it course. The,
0: it was in early September. It was my Oh, that's healing.
1: cool. Yeah, man. Those guys, the groundbreakers. And that concert... A lot of people say the greatest live concert ever captured on film. Very much. It's got to be in the top five, right?
0: The angles, the nuances. I mean, you ca- I saw that and then I saw Taylor Swift, two different concert <laughs> yeah. films. One's Fast and Furious and the other one's a Jonathan Demi movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so.
1: 40, 40 years earlier than Taylor Swift. One's like almost performance art, you know? Talking Heads are like... Uh, they belong in, in the Louvre Museum. Their their stuff is so uh, experimental and, and cool.
0: There was another moment of cool I saw you in. I wanted to bring this up. It was a fun moment seeing you like this and also a bittersweet moment. So I was there at what is arguably the last performance of the White Stripe when they took over the old tower records on Sunset. Gosh, <laughs> this feels like yesterday. I think it was 2006. And you introduce them, and it yeah. was the whole riff of Jack Black introducing Jack White. But <laughs> the reason why I bring that up: Are you close? You know, is there a lot of uh, musical interchange there?
1: Yeah, me and Jack White, uh, we keep in touch. We'll we'll, uh, we'll exchange uh, texts and emails and stuff. And and uh, one time. Fairly recently, me and Kyle were coming to uh, to Nashville, Tennessee, to play a concert, and he he dropped me a line and said, "Hey, you're coming to Nashville? You know, this is where I live, and I got my headquarters here. Do you guys want to drop into my recording studio and uh, and record a track while you're in town?" And I, we were like, "Yes," even though we were like, "Oh no, we don't have anything new to play over there. We can't just go and play an old song. We have to write a new song for this." So we were under pressure and we only had like a week and, um, and, uh, we came up with this song and the idea of the song is it's about going to play a song at Jack White's recording studio and being super nervous. It was like, just write the truth, write what you know. So, uh, we wrote this little jam called don't blow it cage. And cause I'm talking about Jack White. We're going to go rock with Jack White. He's a legend. Kyle, don't blow it. Play your heart out on that guitar. And uh, it was a really funny jam and we like wrote it right in the nick of time when we went over to his house, his recording studio is in his house. There's also, isn't there a phone booth? There's two different record. Okay. Now we're getting down yeah. to the nitty gritty. He's got a recording studio at his headquarters uh, at, at third man records. And he's also got a recording studio at his house. And he said, we could do either one. And we're like, we're coming to your house, bro. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, no the 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 uh the headquarters is cool, but the house is special. Uh-huh. You gotta you gotta um be on the inside to to get a tour of that house, and the house you know I wasn't allowed to take pictures, but oh, uh, wow. I gotta tell you, it is an amazing place. Reminded me of like Graceland, uh huh, but with better taste. He's got he's got an amazing sense of style, and uh, walking around that house, I was like. This is going to be a museum someday. People are going to take tours of this after, after Jack White's long gone, like in a hundred years, it's that level of like, I just loved walking around in there. But yeah, his recording studio is out in the backyard. Just great. Like what you'd expect old school, real to real, none of that digital crap. He's a real, (laughs) he's a real uh, old school technician.
0: Is that track out there or is that is that a song you just made yeah, for shows? Yeah, you
1: can get it at Jack White's uh, record uh, online. It's called uh, uh, Third Man Records. Yeah. And uh, Tenacious D, don't blow it, Cage. You can get it on vinyl. I don't know if you can also get it on uh, iTunes. Maybe you can. Don't blow it, Cage.
0: <laughs> now, what about, can you tell us anything about the song that you guys are working on for Kung Fu Panda 4? T-
1: yeah. Did I, did I spill the beans on that? How do you know about that? Well, Is that you, in the did trades? Spill the,
0: you did spill the beans, but you didn't reveal any details. You didn't reveal like if you're going to use a mandolin in the song or if you're going <laughs> to, or if it's in four, four, or if um, it's, you know,
1: look, I don't want to, I don't want to step out of school. I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but uh-huh. uh, they asked us if we would do a, a Tenacious D cover of a, another hit song. Okay. And we said, well, we'd like to do this one. And and they were like, we'd love to do that. We'd love it if you did that. So we did it. And uh, it's very rocking. I can tell you that. Uh-huh. And um, I can't wait for you to hear it. I'm sorry. I can't give you the scoop.
0: Well, then maybe you could tell us a little bit about your character in Borderlands. Can you tell yeah. us something about that?
1: Yeah, I play Claptrap which is basically the r2d2 of borderlands which mm-hmm. is a, a great legendary video game and we made a movie out of it and uh everybody else had to like fly and and do their their hard work in bulgaria i think they were shooting and i got to do it all at john spiker's uh recording studio in his backyard oh, because it's funny. voiceover <laughs> 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 they never we're so jealous. I want to be the robot from <laughs> Los Angeles.
0: What is next for you? What are you planning and will you ever direct?
1: Um, you know, I like to uh I like to do Tenacious D stuff because I, I do feel like I direct that stuff, even though I don't take like an official director credit. But me and Kyle shape all of those. Tours and and videos and stuff. It's fun to do that. But uh yeah, dude, directing a major motion picture just sounds like a nightmare. It seems cool.
0: Would you do an indie? Would you do something like, Hey,
1: never say never?
0: You know, a million bucks. You call up all your friends, they all show up for one or two days. Uh, yeah. You shoot it in ten days' time, a la Matt Walsh. That's what he <laughs> did with one of his films with KG.
1: Yes. Uh look here's the thing uh with that I feel like if if that's really what I was meant to do if that's really what I wanted to do I'd already be doing it there's a Uh reason I haven't directed a major motion picture or anything like that and it's because that's not really where my passion lies got it I like to collaborate with great directors and I like to I like to cook up ideas um But yeah, I'm more of a song and dance man than a behind-the-camera guy. Got it. And I'm okay with that.
0: Jack Black, we are honored. Thank you so much. Thank you, kind sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of Deadline's Crew Call Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.